we start up. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 16, and you'll find the reading on page 1524. Jesus predicts his his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? And what can man give in exchange for his soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne. Let's pray. Jesus, these are serious words. You said to those who would call themselves your followers. Lord, help us to hear from you again this morning what it is that you're saying to us. From your word. By your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're coming towards the end of our Lent series and thinking about alternative things to give up, not so much uh, chocolate or wine or something like that, um, but giving up different things, different attitudes perhaps, that might hold us back from being fully followers of the Lord Jesus. And this morning our title is Giving Up Our Lives. And we're going to think about that through that passage, through that story of Jesus talking to his disciples. But I want to start by thinking about campaign slogans uh, and uh, just trying to think about the kinds of things that people normally say when they're trying to get someone to follow them or support them or uh, give them their vote. It's actually been a, it feels like it's been quite a long time since we've had a general election in this country. I don't know if that's because we had quite a few or we've just had so many changes of prime ministers. I heard a statistic this week which surprised me. Do you know the last British prime minister who entered office through a general election and left office as a result of a general election? Edward Heath, 1970 to 1974, was the last time that a British Prime Minister came to the office through an election and left the office through an election. Isn't that extraordinary? No, they're not going to go on a rant about the suitability of British democracy. Don't worry. But campaign slogans. Take politicians, for example. They're a classic example of that. You get the leaflets through your door or around election time. You might even have people knocking on the door. And they uh, will focus on really positive-sounding things. Community, safety and crime and dealing with education. 
They'll try to put across a slogan that, that makes you want to get up and follow them or give, you, give them your vote or go out campaigning for them. Great campaign slogans of the past and they stick in the mind with something that goes, yes, I want to get up and support this person. I want to follow this person. I want to be known as someone who is, who is with this person because their slogan, their, their whole attitude is so great and so positive. Well, what is Jesus' campaign, as it were, slogan? What does Jesus say to rally the troops? What does Jesus say to draw a crowd? What does Jesus say to get people to get up and follow him? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer summed it up nearly 100 years ago. If you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German theologian. Uh, he put it this way, excuse the um, gender specific. I'm sure if he was writing it now, he would, he would say both. But he summed up this passage like this. Jesus' great campaign slogan, the thing that's going to really get you up off your seat and want to follow Jesus. When Jesus bids a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus bids a man, he bids him come and die. I've not seen a political leaflet with that. <laughs> so what is Jesus talking about? How can it be exciting to follow someone who says, the way to follow me is to take up your method of execution and come and follow me? How is that even something we might even remotely want to do? Let's think about that together. Well, the first thing to say is that Jesus goes ahead of us. Jesus goes ahead of us. He doesn't ask us to do something that he wasn't prepared to do himself. So in verse 21, he says that he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus starts with what he is going to do first. He goes ahead in order to confront our greatest enemy, which is death. Now, I, uh, I grew up watching Blackadder. I don't know if, if others here are... Um, fans of uh, Blackadder or not, but particularly Blackadder Goes Forth, uh, which was the series that was set in the, uh, the World War I trenches, very sort of sarcastic look at, uh, at that time in history. And there's a line that's always stuck with me where General Melchett, who was the sort of uh, slightly bumbling uh, general, visits the trenches and he visits Blackadder and his men, and to try and sort of pep them up, his kind of campaign slogan was, don't worry if you falter, Captain Darling and I will be right behind you. And Captain Blackadder, in his usual sarcastic way, just leans in and says, yes, about 35 miles behind you. <laughs> but when Jesus calls us, he goes first. He's not just a general at the back calling us to live a life of sacrifice. He is the one who goes ahead of us and confronts our enemy for us. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. 
and that he must be killed. But then he finishes with those wonderful words. And then on the third day, be raised to life. You see, Jesus doesn't go just to face death. Jesus goes in order to defeat death. It's not the end of the story. It's why we have an empty cross in our church. We remind ourselves that Jesus has gone to that place, in our place, for us. He's confronted death, but he didn't stay dead. Because he's the Son of God, he must also be raised to life. He's one of us, a human who goes before us and takes that punishment, that place that we would otherwise have, and he defeats it. This was no plan B or backup or insurance policy. This is what God had planned right from the very beginning. Even back in the Garden of Eden, God is talking about the descendant of Eve who will crush the serpent's head. This was plan one of one. That Jesus would confront death for us and win a victory over it. I don't know if you've seen the TV programme, The Wall. I'm not going to ask you to be a hand up, but I don't know if it's embarrassing or not. It was a sort of game show a few years ago where... <clears throat> yeah, sounds mad. But you had to make your way along a path and the wall would come towards you and it would have different shapes cut out of it. And if you managed to contort your body into the shape of the hole, as the wall passed over you, you would, you'd get through. But if you messed it up and didn't get the right shape you'd be hit by the wall and knocked off into the side. Yeah, I can see no one's, no one's putting their hand up. So let me try another illustration. Do you remember the Looney Tunes cartoons? Do you remember? And was it, was it Roadrunner or the Coyote that used to run through things and leave the shape as they ran through? Do you remember that? Who was it? Thank you very much. Well, it's like Jesus has smashed through death for us and left a Jesus-shaped hole in death. If we try and get through death ourselves, if we try and make our way through to eternal life in our way, in our means, in our strength, we're just going to hit something that's going to stop us, going to kill us. But Jesus, by going through death and rising again to new life, has made a Jesus-shaped hole in death. And so he calls us to follow him because he's the one who's defeated it. No one else has. No one else can. But because he smashed through and made a way back to life, when we're in him, when we follow him, when we're caught up by his grace and we're trusting and believing in him, you know, as it were, when we were united to him, because he's burst through, we simply follow. But it's hard to, hard to take. Peter, in our passage, can't imagine that if Jesus is the Messiah, that he's going to die. He takes Jesus aside. He tries to rebuke Jesus. And he says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turns and says those famous strong words to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He's so strong with Peter because it is so important that Jesus is not diverted from his mission, from God's plan. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer. He must die. And he must rise again. That is God's perfect plan to bring salvation, to bring life 
to this world and to the people that he's made. So when Jesus stands up and gives us that call to follow, which is to come and to follow him even to death, he doesn't just stand behind us shouting orders. He goes ahead of us and makes the way. Secondly, this is when he then turns to his disciples. Jesus said, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Why would a loving God, why would a loving Jesus call us to follow him even unto death? Because it's the way to life. It is the only way to life, as Jesus himself said. For some people, it will be true in a very painful and literal sense. That following Jesus does mean laying down your life. I mentioned at the beginning Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you know anything about Bonhoeffer, you'll know that he was martyred by the Nazis. His opposition to Hitler uh, during the Second World War. Just a few weeks before the end. For some people, and some, many people even around the world today, these words of Jesus have a very literal sense. But they also call us to lay down our life in another sense. To lay down a life without him. To die to a way of living where we're in control and we're not following our great King Jesus. To be ready to uh, take off our own little crowns where we want to be the boss and let him be the real Lord of our life. To die to that old way and to find that it's in following him that we have this new life. Promise of new life with him in eternity and new life with him now. It's costly. It's not easy. But he's here to help us. He sends his Holy Spirit to us to make us more and more like him, to be able to trust him with more and more of our lives, to be able to hand over to him more and more control and trust in the way that we live. Because he knows that that is the way to have true and lasting life. To follow him means dying to life without him, but it also means rising to new life with him. And now you might be sat there thinking, well, yes, Tom, I know that. I gave my life to Jesus some time ago. But I think we do need to constantly remind ourselves. Our temptation is always to drift back to a life where we're in control, where we call the shots, where we feel like we know best. To find ourselves sort of drawn back to a path that the world calls us on, which seems appealing at first, but actually is full of superficial pleasures and brittle hope. 
path that Jesus calls us on is hard and it is costly and it means dying to that old way of life. But it is the path to life and hope and joy. Why? Because he has defeated death. He's done it. It's finished. In him is life and life eternal. There's a great passage in Romans 8 where Paul talks about how in Jesus we are more than conquerors of all these things. He lists off all the hard things that we might have to face in life and who some followers of Jesus were facing, these really difficult things, including death. And he says that in Jesus we are more than conquerors of these things. How do you, how do you more than conquer death? Okay, in Jesus we conquer death Death doesn't hurt us anymore, but it's painful and and, and it hurts in this life when we lose somebody. But as Christians, it's not the end. How do you more than conquer death? I think the answer is that in Jesus, death is no longer defeated, but it becomes his servant. It becomes our servant. Death, as painful as it is, stops being something that hurts us eternally and becomes the means by which we're actually brought into the presence of our friend and saviour. Jesus says to death, now get up and serve me. He more than conquers it. And when we're with him, we have that hope of life. And it's not just about what happens when we die, it transforms us now. We live now with this hope and this peace and this joy that the only thing that could possibly hurt us forever is the very thing which will bring us to be with Jesus. That's real hope. That's real joy. That's real peace. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus says, will find it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's no easy thing to hear those words, to be ready to lay down our life in order to follow you. And I imagine at the times that I've found it easy, I've probably been somewhat missing the point. Lord, would you help us to be people who can fully give our lives over to you? Lord, perhaps especially if we've been following you for some time. Those old ways are deeply ingrained and we've excused them so many times that we miss it. Lord, your Holy Spirit, just shine your light on those parts of our lives, our our thoughts, our actions, our heart, any hardness that we have towards others. Lord, would you shine a light on it and, and help those old ways to die that we might fully have new life in you this wonderful life of lived with our saviour that no matter what a broken world might throw at us Lord we know that you are here you are with us you are seeing us through and we follow you united with you through the hole you've punched through death and on into life Lord would you help us to lay down our life without you that we might find this new and true life with you And Lord, help us to keep on 
following you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.